Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. Having grown up in Sheffield and studied at University in North Wales, he's always had a love of the outdoors and adventure. And after many years working in the outdoor industry, he founded his company, Worcestershire-based Oldpro, in 2011, in order to set about changing the boring world of camping and campervans. With his company, Oldpro, uh, the main focus of conversation with people has always been via social media, where they've been awarded year after year for their social media content and customer services. Oldpro now turns over 3.3 million a year, selling around the world and growing rapidly. Besides running his company, he's also a district councillor for Morven Hills and portfolio holder for economic development. He is Daniel Walton. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Dan. You well? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good. How are you? Very good, yeah, very good, thank good. you. Thanks good. For, uh, thanks for taking time out of your, no doubt, busy schedule to <laughs> come over and do this and, uh, and share some uh, insights and everything. Much, uh, much appreciated. That's a pleasure. Uh, just before we start, your your websites and everything, um, best place for people to go would be Old Pro Shop. Yeah, oldproshop.com. Yeah, that's our main yeah. main website. Um, if anybody's listening in any other country and they type that in, they'll get their, their equivalent in, the, in that country as well. We've got like, okay. 29 sites now around the world. Oh, wow. I didn't realise it was good. that big. That's, uh, that's massive, isn't it? Get in there, yeah. 29. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> you have to translate them all then, get them all translated into... Yeah, we, we we did start actually by just using, you know, good old Google and, you know, getting it translated via machine. And then we, we started speaking right. to people in, in various countries, particularly in Germany. And they were saying, actually, that's not the way we say things in Germany. Right, so we, okay. yeah, we, we got on board a translator that we use uh, to translate all the websites and make sure they're right. Uh, I think okay. particularly because we do camping product, you know, the terminology in some countries is slightly different. Right, so it's yeah, trying to make yeah. sense of that. You don't want to make a faux pas with a, you know, <laughs> yeah. to erect a tent in a different country. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, it's around yeah. that really. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. And then uh, you're on LinkedIn and then you've got uh, the old pro sites on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, as well, yeah, so by all means. Yeah, we've we've got we've got a lot of stuff on online, and um, our YouTube channel as well is always worth following. We we put okay. a lot of videos in there, not just around our products, but around camping generally, and, and and how to camp better and make the most of it. Okay, excellent. All right, nice one. Cool. So um, so so you grew up in Sheffield, um, and studied at, at North Wales. You yeah. Said, yeah. So so gro- how was growing up in Sheffield? What were you into as a as a it, a young it, lad. It was amazing. I mean, I, I would, you know, I, I still love Sheffield to bits. Really do miss it when I'm not there yeah. uh, because it's it's a big city, but it's surrounded by some of the most, you know, beautiful places to go out and walk and climb. And, yeah. and I was really lucky that I lived on the north side of Sheffield, so kind of on the fringes of Barnsley. And so we had like the, the likes of Stanage Edge, you know, right on our doorstep, you know, right, places yeah. that, you know, later on in life, I realised people would talk about, particularly from a climbing perspective, with kind of real admiration, kind of really loving those places. And yeah, I was, you know, I was there right on its doorstep. And my uncle, um, you know, owned a, owned a climbing shop oh, as well. Right, okay. So right in the heart of Sheffield. So 
it was kind of all around us, you know, yeah. me, me, my brother and my sister from a really early age. So it was all good. Right, okay. And then the irony is the other side of my life, as well as being outside and, and, and living all of that, was I, I got into computers really at a really early age. So I started writing okay. computer games. Okay. So, so as I kind of fast forward now and I look at my life is, you know, between e-commerce and outdoor, you know, it sort of encompassed both of those things. Which it is, makes sense. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, it took a long time, but it did eventually, yeah. Yeah, it's funny how these things kind of come around eventually, don't they? You're yeah. Kind of like, oh, yeah, I used to love doing that. <laughs> That's why I'm I did it. it, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so were you good at school and stuff? Was that a, a, uh, a good thing for you? Or? I, I think at school, I think I just had a good memory. So I, I, I don't think right. I was particularly um, academic, but I could just remember things. So when it came to exams, and a lot of my... GCSEs and A-levels were kind of exam-led. I think I got through them off the back of that. But I don't think I was ever necessarily a hard worker. Um, right, okay. I was probably always a bit of a joker, I would say, and spent too much time messing around at school. Yeah. So, Which I obviously tell my kids now never to do, but I spent a lot of time doing it myself. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, do you genuinely believe that they shouldn't then when you're telling them off? Or? No, I think you should enjoy it. Life's far too short, isn't it? I think... Um, and, you know, the sort of strange thing is that, again, I say this to my, my, so my eldest daughter is nearly 18, you know, I've got another daughter who's 15, and you say to them all the time, you know, the jobs that, that you're going to be doing probably don't even exist yet, mm. you know, so it's quite hard to kind of determine what you need to be doing now in life at GCSE and A-levels to what you're ultimately going to be doing at the end of the day. Yeah, and and, and yeah. I'd like them to kind of certainly not follow what I've done, but to look at opportunities and, and try and you know, do what they enjoy rather than kind of go down a set path. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, because, yeah, the job that you're doing now didn't exist, did it, when no, you were God, that no, age? No. Like, the internet wasn't even uh, no, 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 much no. of a thing, was it? And uh, you couldn't have even imagined buying no. something on a computer. No, it's weird. I, I used to subscribe to Atari ST format, which was my, it was my computer choice. And right, yeah. I remember I, I picked out some of the old magazines of the day from the early 90s. I was looking back through them and there were adverts on there for modems. Right. And I never noticed them back then. But obviously <laughs> they, were, they were a thing. They were yeah. around and people were already trying to get online. And I guess my first experience of going online was at university when I bought a modem for a PC. Right, okay, and I could, yeah. you know, it was costing me like a pound a minute to kind of dial in. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. nobody else could use a phone in you know, the shared house. <laughs> so I had a shared house with this, um, with a load of, um, it was almost all women. There was me and another guy there. And yeah. after about three days, I remember one of them coming to me and saying, um, I've just picked up the phone. I just hear this funny noise. And my parents have, have just contacted me via somebody else's. They've not been able to get through to me for like three days. And because like, the internet was on the entire time. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was there. But obviously, being back at school in the 80s, it was a you know, dream to be, you know. It, it was such a distant thing to think you could shop online or watch films online. And yeah, things. yeah. It's Madness, mad, really. It? Yeah, and you're right. Like, you know, what are, what are our kids going to be? doing when they're our age sort of thing yeah it's, it's, uh, it's exciting isn't it i think yeah it's, i think it's really exciting we're we're looking at the moment at, at work around vr and, and augmented oh. reality as well and how right, yeah. you know that will kind of pan out within e-commerce because obviously for us we are a, you know we're an e-commerce business we're selling online and what but we're selling a, a product that's still very touchy-feely people like to see tents they like to walk around mm -hmm. them and um, I think one option for the future would be to allow people to literally step with inside a tent in their own living room right, and kind okay, of experience yeah. that and sort of put it in different places. You know, imagine what 
a tent that we sell looks like halfway up the Eiger or yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's the the future to one degree, but as to what the kids will get into, God knows, it could be anything. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. No, it is exciting. So, uh, what what did you study at North Wales? In North Wales, then? I did criminology. Okay. So yeah, that's nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. What 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 brought you into that? So, at the end of college, I, I was all set to go and do computer programming. That was definitely my thing at the time. And then I had a year out uh, at college, and I just went and worked for a year in Sheffield and yeah. sort of enjoyed myself. And, but in my year out, I did A-level sociology. Right. And I, I just re- I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of, I suppose I always kind of liked politics and kind of, you know, what was going on in society, generally trying to understand that a little bit better. And uh, part of sociology was criminology, was sort of understanding okay. the reasons behind crime and, and, and you know, why people do it, but then also how we deal with crime as a society. I got interested in that. I think my year out sort of pushed me away from computers a little bit as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought I'm going to you know, look for a course in criminology. The only two places that did it at the time were Sheffield and Bangor in North Wales. Right, okay. I, I didn't want to stay at home. Yeah. Um, and I'd visited quite a few of my friends who'd gone off to Manchester and Nottingham and Newcastle and Liverpool. And I thought, well, actually, if I'm going to go to university, I want to go somewhere different. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to go to another city where I've, I've grown up and I'm used to kind of, yeah. you know, being in this kind of environment. And I went to Bangor and I was just blown away by it. I thought it was an yeah. amazing place. Um, you know, right, obviously, from every... From every campus, you could see Snowdonia, you know, mm. so the mountains were there. Um, I, I remember going, look, just looking around, you know, kind of halls of residence and looking on the notice boards and, you know, they had like the sailing club and um, they had a surfing club, which I joined but never went surfing. I don't know where they, where they <laughs> just surfed. Just to say you remember. Bang- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that bang- the Menai Straits are a great surfing destination. Um, but yeah, so, we, but all, and obviously the climbing club and, and, there was a lot around cycling there as well. So the outdoors was uh, was really was a really big part of, you know, going to Bangor University, I would say. Yeah, it's a lovely part of the world, isn't it? I've got a mate who lives uh, up that way. Yeah. And, uh, been a few times. It's, yeah, it is so nice, isn't it? You're just driving through national parks with mountains either side of you. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, um, just this last summer, went out to Abbey Falls. In fact, just went out there and just in, in the camper van, just parked in Snowdonia on in lay by one evening, just slept there with the dog and uh, and, yeah. and Becky, my partner, just stayed there. And then we um, and then we went out to Abba Falls the following evening, right. you know, and just again just stayed at Abba Falls and just walked around. And it it's just such a lovely place just to you know go and chill out on a weekend. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you need a phone signal, you're you're pretty stuffed. <laughs> but apart yeah. from that, it's it's all really good. Yeah, no, it is. It's amazing, really, and kind of yeah, it's not that far away, really, relative yeah. to how sort of different it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it is like another world, isn't it? When you get out yeah, there, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, Trifan is, a, is my favourite mountain in, in Snowdonia. It's just an amazing place. And when you get on the top of there and you're kind of looking across, you can see Snowdon from there as well. Yeah. It's, it's always snow-peaked, you know, there's always yeah. snow up there and you, you could be anywhere in the world. You, you yeah. certainly wouldn't think you were still in Britain when no. you're on the top of there. It's, it's incredible. That's it, yeah. So, uh, okay, so uh, where did you go after North Wales and studying criminology? So I, um, I did a rather strange thing then. I, I set up... I wanted to stay in North Wales a little bit longer and I set up a, a very small computer shop just fixing computers. Okay. So I kind of fell, this was this kind of thing of not knowing what I was going to do, yeah. which you can clearly see from what I was playing at this time. <laughs> so I thought I'd stay there. So I, I, I leased a very small building and right. um, 
didn't have any money, but just people used to bring the computers to me and I used to fix them. Okay. And uh, the business model effectively was people would bring computers into me. Then on a Sunday, I would drive to Liverpool, buy all the computer parts that I needed from yeah. computer fairs, spend all of Sunday then fixing these computers through the night. <laughs> people would come on a Monday morning, collect them and give me the money. And, and Not a sustainable business model. It, it wasn't a great business model, no. And it, but I, I guess... If you're going to build a good business, you probably need to have a few uh, either near misses or, or disasters yeah, first. Yeah, and that was yeah. probably my disaster, I'd say. Okay, but like uh, what sort of... Because a lot of people come out of university and, you know, get a job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. What sort of gave you the inclination to start up your own thing at that point? Is that something that, you know, from, that you've inherited or...? I don't know. Stupidity, probably. No, no, I no it's not stupidity. I'm just <laughs> interested because, like, you know, a lot of... A lot of people's sort of, yeah, like I say, their first sort of instinct is, oh, I need to go and get a job now. But yours was, I need to lease a building and start my own business. Yeah, I, 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 do you know what? I don't know why I did it, to be honest. I, I, and I think on like day two of doing it, I think I probably looked back and thought, I don't know why I've done this. <laughs> it was just, but it, in a weird way, obviously it worked for me at the time because it was sustainable for just me to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was never going to employ anybody else doing it. And it, it was kind of like a almost like a fun thing to do, you know, to st- I was still within the university world, but I'd left, oh, yeah. you know, I was, um, and I still knew a lot of people at university and yeah, it, it, it worked and it, and it was fine for what it was. Um, it, eventually though, I kind of thought I need to get back to Sheffield. And right. um, so I started to look at job opportunities in Sheffield and that was really difficult. That was, so that was sort of the late nineties, very late nineties. And there weren't a lot of jobs around. It, except in Yorkshire as a whole, that most of the job opportunities for graduates were mostly in Leeds. Right. And, okay. um, and the one thing, you know, no offence to anybody from Leeds, but if you come from Sheffield, you don't want to live in Leeds. We, <laughs> we, it's that kind of relationship. Yeah, so, yeah. So, we, uh, so, so, yeah, so I, I moved back to Sheffield and for a very short space of time, I ended up working at BT for like just a few months and, and that right. was in a call centre. And right. uh, it was... I mean, an absolutely awful job. Um, it was a sort of, I mean, it was a call centre, but you weren't even allowed to drink. If you wanted to drink water, you had to go out of the call centre and take it from a tap, and they had little little kind of cups that were shaped like a cone, so you couldn't even put them down anywhere, oh, just to make sure you didn't drink them whilst you were actually working. They were proper slave drivers. And um, so anyway, I did that for a few months, and then um, I responded to an advert in a newspaper from a, a local company called Apollo Travel, but the advert was for a company called lastminute.com. Okay. So, and I remember I was sat at this apartment I rented in Sheffield. I was sat down on the stairs and I phoned up Apollo Travel and they said to me, have you heard of lastminute.com? And I was like, no, never, never heard of them. And they were like, well, the new business just started up based in London. Um, they're selling flight tickets and accommodation. And we at Apollo Travel, we're going to fulfill all their flight commitments because they're not abterated and, and whatnot. So they, right, they've got yeah. to outsource that. So I went for an interview, it was in Rotherham, I got that job, and mm-hmm. uh, I was employed by lastminute.com, mm-hmm. and I spent half my time, I mean this happened like really quickly, I spent yeah. half my time between London and Rotherham, um, working for lastminute.com, employed by them, uh, and, and then very quickly because, I mean there weren't very many of us working there to be fair, and I was the only one with any kind of IT background, they made me customer services manager, right, so okay. I started running customer services for them, and um, that, that was a, it was a really, really good time. It was just at the time when um, Brent Uberman and Martha Lane Fox took Last Minute public. 
Right, you know, okay. I remember going in one morning and the phones were buzzing and with journalists <laughs> all over the place. It was that first, you know, kind of uh, dot-com boom. Right, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody was kind of jumping on the bandwagon and last-minute shares were going through the roof and, you know, very quickly yeah. after that, they, they nosedived. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. And we had a lot of phone calls then as well. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, it was really good to be involved in that. And I remember being at, at, at board meetings down at Marble Arch just sat there, just listening to people, you know, listening to people like Brent, Martha, and, you know, other people that had been in business for a long, long time, uh, mm. talking about things that I had no idea what they were talking about, but it was right, interesting, yeah. and sort of seeing the relationships between people and how things were playing out, and so, yeah, that, it was good, but sort of weird to where I am now, because I spent a lot of that time trying to persuade people not to stay in the UK, and to, to go <laughs> off and fly somewhere, and... And then now, yeah, obviously it's, it's different. It's different, yeah, okay, okay. But yeah, it must have been really interesting, like you say, being involved in a company like that, because it was pretty small when you joined, and then sort yeah. of seeing it, a pretty sort of good experience and useful, I'd imagine. Yeah, very, re really, really useful. And um, yeah, it was, because um, it, it was very embryotic at the start, it was very much just a few of us, and... Um, and, and, and I mean, one of the most interesting things, just from a, again, from a technical point of view, I mean, there were people there that were designing the website and the ways in which people bought from us. And I remember having a conversation with, with a couple of them one day and they said, well, the, the sort of ambition for last minute is that people are coming back off the holiday and while they're on the plane, they can go on the phone or on their head, on the, on the, the kind of the, the headrest yeah. and they can search for their next holiday where they're coming into land from their last holiday. Right. And I was like, oh, that's never going to happen, is it? That's ridiculous. <laughs> on your phone, buying a holiday. And um, they were very good at, I think, being able to look forward and, and see these yeah. opportunities and, and take them. And, um, yeah. And the marketing and everything was superb. Again, that was another great lesson from them. Right. You know, I remember a time where you go to airports and, you know, lastminute.com was on every kind of door, electric door that you went through. And obviously the whole, you know, using lastminute.com as a phrase in kind of general yeah, conversation yeah. is a... An amazing achievement, really. Yeah. So, the, so I think they they were very good at what they did, but they you know, another thing they taught me was about working hard. They worked very very hard. You know, it right. didn't, none of it happened by chance. It was, yeah. you know, they they did know what they were doing, and, and they also diversified. So they obviously went from just being, you know, on flights and and holidays into doing restaurants and um, mm -hmm. and, and and you know attractions and things like that. Uh, and the other big thing from them which again is strange looking back that is that from, from a customer services perspective you can see how customer services have evolved we used to take a lot of phone calls because a lot of people back in so this was about 2000 by this point mm. a lot of people back then wouldn't trust putting their credit card details in a line yeah, you know yeah. they wanted to to talk to somebody yeah, yeah. you know where, weird now. which is weird now yeah 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 <laughs> your, your kind of ambition really is to have quite a seamless transaction now where you're not you don't have to you don't want to talk to somebody you just want to yeah. buy it yeah. Whereas back then people were adamant, you know, I'm not putting my credit card details in a website. I'm going to phone yeah. somebody up and talk to them and do it. Yeah. So yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. Okay. No, it must have been uh, really cool. What What sort of led to the the the, the nosedive then that you 
You said, is that just the share price? Yeah, it was, it was a share kind of, price yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it wasn't really ever last minute's fault when you look back on it. It was more to do with the environment and the fact that a lot of other people had jumped in on the, you know, the dot-com boom, but actually without really a business behind it. Mm. So people were investing big money into things that didn't have any kind of premise to them. Right, okay. Um, it's just overinflated. And... Massively overinflated, yes. Right, okay. So I think it, it may well have been that last minute was at the time, but actually it was always a sustainable business. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had a really good sort of, like I say, good people behind it. They were working hard and, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, in any sector you see that, in, in, even within the world of camping, and particularly as camping itself started to go online, there were lots of businesses that would go and try and build a case for being a good e-commerce site. Mm. But really all they had was, you know, they could sell things cheaper than somebody else. Right. There was okay, no real yeah, kind yeah. of brand or any kind of reason for a, a person to invest in that business in, in terms of buying from them. Um, whereas, you know, I think that's what we've definitely tried to do differently. Yeah, yeah, okay. So how long were you at last minute for... Oh, it's a few years. Um, probably a couple of years, I think. Right. Maybe, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then from there. Yeah, and then and then Toshua was my next uh, port of call, uh, and again that was so. Um, Lisa, who uh, became my wife, and uh, we, we've separated since, but still really, really good friends. Yeah. Uh, we met at last minute, so mm. she she came to work at um, at Apollo Travel, right. uh, was doing really well there, and um, and yeah, so. She, uh, she had a family member who ran a company called Tosha, and Tosha ran a, a sort of bit of a Sheffield institution, really. Okay. So they make they make tow bars that go on the back of your car and allow you to oh, okay. tow a caravan. But in the 60s, they diversified and started to do a lot more camping equipment. Okay. So, so growing up in Sheffield, you had there were two companies. There were CCC Outdoors, now known as Go Outdoors, mm-hmm. and Tosha. And... Um, and so I remember meeting Andrew, who was one of the directors at Tosha, and saying to him, I, I thought, I just presumed they had more than one shop. And this sort of first meeting, before I worked there, I said to him, how come you haven't got more than one shop? And he said, well, we've thought about it, we'd like to, but we've never really sort of looked into it. So me and Lisa drove to, well, he, he lent us a smart car. So smart cars had only just come in at this time. <laughs> so they lent us a smart car, and we drove around the country looking for other potential locations for a tow shore. Right, okay. And it was a bit of like an evening job. So I was working at last minute, and I remember we started to like write a business plan for a second tow shore store, which right. sounded like a weird, weird thing to do, actually, <laughs> but we, we did this thing. And... Um, yeah, and I, I remember like Lisa going away and getting stuff photocopied like at the local garage, like going look pages <laughs> for like the bank and stuff. Like that. So we, were, so we were looking around for somewhere, and we, we ended up going to Southampton one day, um, not knowing it was a Southampton um, boat festival as well. As well, we went yeah. down there, so it was absolutely yeah. packed. Even yeah. we couldn't get a hotel anywhere, and um, so we looked around Southampton, and uh, we just thought this has got to be the perfect place for another. If you if you're into towing and camping, and obviously towing can be marine as well. You know, you've got, you know, the River Hamble, Southampton Water, you've got the New Forest. Such a great place for all these sort of things. So we went back and we said to Andrew, we've been somewhere and we think it'll be perfect. And he said, before you tell me, let me just write down where I think. And (laughs) he'd written Southampton as well. And and so we set up a store in Southampton. Okay. Uh, So we ran that. And then we set one in Hales Owen. So we did another tow show. And then, um, yeah, then we moved back to Sheffield sort of ran Tosho from Sheffield, mm-hmm. um, sort of oversaw quite a lot of it, the call centre. That's where I'd say 
certainly more so than when I was at BT for the two months. That's where I learned a lot about call centres and sort right, of okay. understanding customer services from that side of, of things. Toshio were very good in the sense that they were very early online as well. Right. So they'd been active online since the early noughties, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and still have a very strong presence as well in, mm-hmm. in terms of a lot of camping stuff. So so we, we, we worked there for a bit. And then I eventually left because I think one of the things within retail, uh, particularly bricks and mortar retail, it was relatively limited in the sense of what I could do next. Mm. So I'd done quite a lot within Tosho within, I don't know, four years it was I was there. Um, so the next move was to a, a brand who make tents, um, right. a company called Outdoor Revolution. Okay. who were based up in uh, Heckman Wyke near Jewsbury. Right. So worked with them. They were very, very small, like you know, four or five people there. And uh, I became sales director there. And that was my first sort of time. Then getting to experience China, going to China, looking at products. Right, yeah, yeah. And sort of starting to develop things. Okay, cool. And then, um, so, so is that the point that you then decided to, to start your own thing then after that? Or no, I know the two companies in me. Yeah, no, no. Had lots more to go. Building the experience. Yeah, yeah, you could say that, yeah. So it was, uh, so Outdoor Revolution was, it, well, it was one of those jobs that I didn't particularly like at the time. I think because I was new at it and right. I, was, I was sales director. It was my responsibility to go out and sell, sell to people. So I, mm-hmm. but it was a small company. So yeah. at first I was sales director of nobody and then eventually right. I had a team around me. But yeah. it was very much me going around and knocking on doors and saying, will you buy this? And But being part of you know the team that design it and create the product. And um, I don't think I was any good at, at knocking on doors and selling to people at the time. But I suppose it started to come a little bit. Was that, was that your first sort of experience of that sort of going out and approaching people like that yeah. cold? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. bet that was a good experience though. Yeah, very, yeah. Because I'd, I'd had two jobs previous to that you know where I was you know pretty much in charge of my own little world so you know I, I was very comfortable and um, obviously at last minute looking after customer services and at Toshua I was general manager so I didn't answer to many people whereas then I think when you go out you're in a sales world you're selling to people you're answerable to your customer straight away aren't you so as soon mm-hmm. as they have an issue or you don't deliver on something or you overpromise something you know they've got every right to ring you up and, and have a go at you for it so you go from a world where you're very comfortable, where nobody questions anything that you do, to a point of everybody's <laughs> questioning what you're doing and why are you selling this too dear. And it, it wasn't a company that was particularly, you know, well known at the time. They are now, you know, yeah. but they weren't at the time. So it was very much we, we were under pressure. From big yeah, companies yeah. would try and squeeze us out of, you know, particular retailers and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, so it was an amazing experience, and yeah, um, yeah, really. And so I look back on it with a lot of fondness, really now. But then I, I moved from there because it was a, a company called Discover Leisure. Um, they they came in into the industry, so very much the caravan industry. This is this is right. not a side that I'm I'm not particularly in love with caravans in any way, shape, right. or form. But the uh, but the Discover Leisure came into the into the world of caravans and bought a load of caravan dealers. They bought eighteen caravan dealers around the country right, okay. and became very quickly the biggest sort of, you know, caravan kind of franchise in, in, in the country. I think in the world, right. actually. And um, they wanted somebody to come in and, and do all their accessory buying and kind of... So they had 18 shops on each one of the sites and they wanted me to look after those shops, do all the purchasing for them and kind of bring the ranges together. So what had previously happened is all these shops had had individual buyers. They'd all had people that would do the buying for that shop. 
okay. but they wanted to bring it all together into one thing. So I was brought in to do that. So they basically offered me a job. I, I think I turned it down a couple, of, a couple of times and then eventually said, yeah, I'll do it. And again, it was, you know, like a, my own little empire in a way. It was amazing. It right, was okay. because we had the biggest purchasing power in the industry, in the all outdoor industry, you know, bar nobody. You know, my phone never stopped ringing. People always wanted to sell to us because, you know, getting products into Discover was a, was a massive thing. Right, okay, But yeah. to my mind, it was about consolid, you know, consolidating what we did, so we had to do less. So it was a hard job, really, of kind of slimming down the ranges that we had. You know, we, mm-hmm. across the 18 shops, we would have bought tents from every single manufacturer of tents that were going. Right. So, you know, the, the branch in South, so in Portsmouth would have done X, Y, and Z, and the one in Carlisle would have done, you know, A, B, and C. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, it was, it was kind of all over the place. So I did that. I, d- I did that up until 2009. Um, I think I did my notes in probably end of 2008. And the reason why I left there, it was great, but the economic crash in 2008 meant obviously lending dropped through the floor and the main business of Discover Leisure was selling caravans. Right. And it was really evident looking at the the caravan pictures that we weren't moving stock. Mm -hmm. So the shops were fine. The shops were ticking over okay. Um, but you could see they was they were starting to struggle. There was definitely it's noises people, around the industry. Because people need to borrow money to buy a, camera, uh, a caravan, generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up noticing. I, I'd, well, to be fair, I'd had a conversation with a company I then went to, a company called Maypole, based in Birmingham, and they were looking for a new sales director. Mm-hmm. And, and Maypole, a great company, been going since the 60s, very much like Toshua, but on the wholesale side. So they make mm-hmm. towing equipment and then sell it odd and um so i went there and that brought me to the midlands that's why i then eventually moved down to okay down to where i'm in worcestershire yeah and uh, i always had this it's funny because when we were looking at places to move to we were looking around birmingham and we could have gone anywhere we were looking at like litchfield and you know kind of north of birmingham and then we came down to worcestershire and uh we looked into uh shrewsbury as well in shropshire Mm -hmm. sorry we looked into herefordshire yeah and uh I kept seeing the Mormon Hills, but without, this sounds really daft, especially now I'm a district councillor involved, and this sounds really bad to admit, but I, I kept seeing the hills and thinking, I want to be near those, you know, sort right, of, yeah, yeah. again, I, I think thinking about walking and, and climbing and things, going back to that, yeah. that I want to be near the Malverns, and I thought, that's too far away to Birmingham, surely. And then discovered Martley, and ended up moving, that was my first, first place I moved to. Yeah. And uh, so that was great. So lived there, worked in Birmingham, and after two years, so this brings us up to 2011, uh, two years at, at Maypole, um, I just thought, I, I, I kept getting accused of doodling. So I was, at, I was always in, in board right. meetings or in meetings and people would have a go at me for doodling things. <laughs> uh, and there was one director in particular who I won't name, but kept saying I, I, was, I shouldn't be doodling in board meetings. But it was just ideas all the time. And I just right, thought, yeah. here we are again, we're doing another new range of these products. And it's, we're doing it because it's like, what somebody else does or we're doing it because it's easy to do yeah. and I just thought this entire industry is like this yeah, like, yeah. We, we just it's a lazy industry where we're not really looking to design things or come up with new ideas and I thought actually what I'd like to do you know I, I think we only get one chance at this is to you know create something that's going to be a creative business that's going to give people new new things to buy and, and mm-hmm. look at and ultimately to stand out and I think you know, when we start to really think about Old Pro, it was very much, 
I don't see All Pro being bought by everybody. I don't see us being everybody's cup of tea. Right. You know, I think lots of people will go out there and buy, you know, the, the brands that have been around for a long time because mm. they think that's what they should do. But right. actually, the people that look into it and think about it will buy All Pro. Okay. And I think that's where I see us, you know, right. more. And there are clothing brands, you know, that I would kind of put us akin to with that. You know, okay. where people so sort of a little bit more specialist, but not yeah. everyone's heard of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a result. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Our tagline is stand out. And, and the purpose of that is that, you know, you go to a campsite or a festival, there's going to be, you know, a dozen of a brand, a dozen of another brand, and there might be two or three of ours. Mm. So that the people that own ours are going to feel a lot better about themselves because mm. they stand out. You know, yeah, they're not yeah, with yeah, the yeah. crowd buying the same tent as everybody else. Okay. So a little, like, bit, little bit of uh, the apple of the uh, camping world. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. Some extent. I think, I think, or yeah. <laughs> the early apple. The early apple, yeah. The sort of, the Apple II apple. Yeah, yeah, Rather yeah. than the, the Apple II went mad, didn't it? Rather than the iPhone 13 apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think desire, it, it, it's a very, very hard uh, place to sit, isn't it? Because it's to be desirable to have stock when people want it, but to have some kind of demand there as well. Um, yeah. But at the same time, not to be everywhere. I think it is a, is a difficult pitch to kind of play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the Apple's like obviously, you know, like a sort of classic case study, isn't it? I suppose of uh, you know marketing and positioning yourself, but like, yeah, they, they've they're still sort of seen as I don't know. They make make you feel like you're sort of different, don't they? When you because you're Apple, but yeah, they're so prolific at the same time. Yeah, I think I think they're prolific with innovation, are they? I think that's the key. Yeah. So the yeah, iPhone yeah. 13. It's got new innovations on it. I mean, so would argue not as much as it should, but new innovations on it, as as every other model before. I think the one thing to admire about Apple is that the way they reinvented themselves, so, so that the you know the pre-return of Jobs, so when Jobs was there the first time round, you know yeah. they were a very cool company, a very innovative, and you know they were that garage business, weren't they? That mm. developed into such a way, yeah. and then. I mean, this is this is to you know Jobs' credit, absolutely. That when he came back, he was a different person, mm. you know, and and they became a very strong commercial business, mm. you know, mm. sort of almost losing a lot of that kind of early kind of doors, you know, way that they were. Yeah. You know, I think he was just yeah. such a different person that second time around, but it was the right thing to do at the time, and I think that they they've what they've maintained the way through is innovation, isn't it? Being able to look for things, look for new things. I, mm. It's arguable now that maybe they've been a bit stagnant for 20 years because you know, mm. since the iPad in particular, you know, yeah, there's not been yeah. a lot as of in terms of absolutely new. Not, where, like, not like that disruptive. No. Sort of, yeah, because when the iPad came out, I remember thinking, why would anyone need one of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but then you look at, I mean, disruptive technology at the minute, I would argue, certainly from big names, you know, I think Facebook are doing it with Oculus and VR. I think that's really strong. Yeah. And I think Google are doing it as well over various things. But I think in particular, I'm a massive advocate of this. And anybody listening to this who knows me will be bored of the fact I've just mentioned it. <laughs> but Stadia from Google, which is a gaming platform, okay. which I think is right. incredible. Cloud gaming is the future of gaming. You know, and I think for people to be in on it now and do such a good job, I think that's a disruptive thing. Yeah, you know, right, because okay. the, the, the norm of gaming has always been to buy a console every three or four years, splash out four or five hundred quid. Yeah. In some cases, having to wait for it or, you know, queue up to buy one. And I, I've done that many, many a time. Yeah. You know, something that removes that all, you know, that, that process from the system so there's no console anymore mm -hmm. is amazingly disruptive. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure. So, so I think that 
there are other big companies doing it, and then obviously there are lots of smaller companies doing it as well that are, that have been really strong, particularly around electronic, you know, electric power and cars and yeah, things yeah, like that's yeah, where a lot of it's yeah. now going to happen, isn't it? So um, when you sort of got to that stage when you you kind of realised you were doodling a lot and thought I should do something with my doodles, yeah. <laughs> what 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 was the kind of process that you went through? Can you can you remember that time? Um, yeah, well? R- really, really well. <laughs> yeah, really well. Uh, so. There was, so it was Worcester, Worcestershire Christmas, sorry, Worcester Christmas Market, Victorian Market, I remember that. It yeah. was, I'd worked a lot that year, so this would be, uh, it would be 2011, so I'd worked a lot in 2011. Yeah. And um, I had a phone, so I, I took a lot of time off over Christmas, I'd booked all my holidays, uh, I was out at the Christmas fair and I got a phone call from somebody at work, one of the directors, questioning me about something that I'd done with a particular customer that we'd been trying to get on board for years. We got them mm. on board and he was like, oh, you've not done this. I thought I could do without this, especially on my you know, time off over Christmas. Yeah. So I started, it really kind of planted the seed. And then I was out in Worcester again and it was just a few days before Christmas. And so we were, all pro was formed on the 23rd of December, right? Okay. Which shows you kind of my state of mind. <laughs> yeah. um, so a few days before, or a day before that, even um, the person who was next door to us, who was a little bit older than me, just suddenly died, just suddenly passed away. Right, just okay. I, I had a brain hemorrhage and died. And I was out in town, and it's when my neighbour called me and said this had happened because the ambulances were there and everything. And I just thought life is really too short in it, and I really mm. don't want to be. Mm. Put it with this, and I, I look back at it now, and I think part of it is I don't think I was ever a good employee. I think that's right. a big part of it. I don't think I could ever take, and, and everybody who I work with now would definitely agree with this <laughs> that I, I don't like being told what to do. So, <laughs> so I think part of it was was that as well. And um, I just sat down, and, um, and we we just we just looked at you know sort of the industry as a whole. Thought where is there a gap here, and uh, yeah, All Pro was bored. Excellent. Okay. Okay. And. Uh, Oh, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you was, is it outdoor living professional or something like that? Close, yeah, it could be. Outdoor leisure products. Outdoor leisure products. Yeah, uh, okay. it's, it's more boring than it should be, really. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was professional, uh, like the pro was professional. I was yeah. told by somebody, I don't have no idea who now, that if you, when you create a name, you should take what you do and get it to the smallest point possible. Okay. So we, so we, we did that, we just squeezed outdoor leisure products down to okay, all pro. Nice. But the... Um, but we also had to take in mind what we could get in terms of a URL as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, sure. we always use oldpro.co.uk to start with, which we now have the old pro shop. So it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, what, what were your first moves then? Because you formed the company after getting that phone call, but you presumably had no product or yeah. anything. Nothing, no. It was all a bit of a panic. I um, First really lucky break for us was I had a phone call from um, one of Maple's biggest customers who are a, a car parts distributor and they wanted to meet. So I went to meet with them and they said, uh, we want to get into outdoor leisure. We reckon this is going to be a growing market. I mean, it, it already was, but they said, you know, we, so we want to start supplying our customers with outdoor products. Um, could could we use all pro products? Could we license, effectively distribute your products for you? Yeah. So that was great. So we had a customer straight away. We didn't have to go and sell to anybody. But, we could but, just but when you first started, you didn't have any product. No, no, no. Then we started making products. Oh, so, really? So, yeah. So we, well, had, that, so we, had, we had that conversation fair. before we even had a... Yeah, yeah. So was, how did, okay. How did, so, so how did I, I find out about it? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended in my notice at Maypole yeah. and said that I'm leaving. Okay. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. at the same time, I told my biggest customers. Right, and and okay. they got in contact with me then and said, 
well, the MD of the company contacted me and said, it'd be really good if we could have a chat about what you're going to be doing. Okay. So that was it. Because they oh, just liked you. Like what I we're guess. doing. Yeah, yeah. So right. we, so I had, I always had my notice to work through, yeah. which I did do, which was a few months. Um, in all that time, and look, I mean, everybody at Maple would know this, and I'm really good mates with them anyway, so they won't mind. I was again, I was doodling, but at quite a rate by this point. <laughs> yeah, I should think. Yeah, yeah and we booked <laughs> like your life depended on it <laughs> very much. Yes, yeah, so we, so we, we decided the first product we were going to do was going to be melamine tableware. Okay. The idea behind that was that. Melamine tableware is a much wider market than just the outdoor industry. People mm-hmm. use it at, you know, barbecues and things and stuff that people buy all the time. So we thought yeah. we've got a good in with this. You know, wherever yeah. we sell it, people are gonna are gonna buy it. Also as well, the existing ranges that were out there done by other people were, I mean, no word of a lie, nobody designed melamine. What they used to do is they used to go to wallpaper shops, take mm-hmm. wallpaper designs, send them to China and say, Can you put this on a plate? And that, right. that would generally, as sad as that sounds, that's generally how much of the kind of melamine came about. Right. So we sat there, we doodled, um, we, we put together some designs and uh, yeah, we sent them off to, and again, I had good contacts in China by this point. I'd been going out there for quite a lot with, with Maple and, uh, and with Outdoor Revolution and with Discover as well. So I got a lot of contacts out there. Um, I'd, I'd known a melamine factory that I'd never used in the past, got in contact with them, started working with them, and we put two designs uh, together and uh, ordered a 20-foot container. And that right. was the first, first <laughs> container that we ordered in. And um, so, I mean, this is like, you know, digging into savings and stuff and that, yeah, just trying yeah. to get... Because the biggest thing... So I'd, I'd, I was working on notice, but obviously trying to prepare the new business and get things together. Uh, but the first thing you notice when you're not being paid for your work anymore is that at the end of the month you don't have any money coming in <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. stops um, yeah, yeah. and the only money you, you were, you're ever going to have coming in relies on you actually making some money in the business to allow you to, to pay yourself yeah. so so yeah so it was a real I mean it sounds like utterly stupid at the moment I was you know I was a sales director in a big company getting paid very very well gave all that up for what seems like almost nothing really <laughs> set up a company um, brought in one container. We, we brought two containers in that first year. We had a distribution thing, which was set up. So that was quite nice. So we were able right, to go okay. and do that. Um, and the first year was pretty much that. It was it was a, a container of melamine, which the one thing I did learn then is that if you only do two designs, that's a lot of those designs on a container because yeah. a container's <laughs> a big thing. And then the other thing we did is we did some toilet tents and... Uh, some other small products, some pegs right, and things okay. and stuff, which okay. we just cobbled together. It so. sounds like the way you're telling it, <laughs> like you just took it all in your stride and it was like really quite straightforward, but I bet it wasn't. No, it was awful. Well, every <laughs> every moment of those early years was absolutely awful. It was, right. a, again, so I, I would say it was the first two years where we went through this process of, and we started to bring some people into the business for like the phones and the things and stuff, kind of mm. early people. We were in a very small unit over at Little Whitley. We had mm. about 2,000 square foot, um, but we didn't need a lot of space because the majority was going into our customer's warehouse. Our customer was, had everything over us really. It was, again, to me, it was a little bit like being employed in those early years. Right. Well, it's just like the one, one yeah. customer. We had one yeah. customer we were supplying okay. everything to. So right. it was me going into them and them saying, well, we bought this and it hasn't sold or it hasn't sold in the numbers that we thought. And obviously, you know, to me, that's down to them. That's down to what they're doing. Mm. And they, 
they were seen very much as a car accessory, you know, spares company. They weren't right. outdoor leisure. This was new to them. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that, that, to me, they needed to do a lot more. Um, yeah. And we, we were always in a rush to get to a point of doing what we really wanted to do, which was tents and canvas okay. and camper right. audience. In those early years, we didn't have the money to do it. Okay, so you had to build it up from the small products first. Yeah, the- yeah so it was very much about building up what we did. Um, at the same time, because we weren't selling direct, we had a website which we were working on. We were trying to develop our social media. We came, we became very strong on things like Twitter. So our kind of B two B presence, I thought, was was particularly strong back in the day. Yeah. And uh, and I and I don't think for those first two years, you know, I don't think I ever ever stopped working. I don't think I ever took my eye off the ball. But we we never really got anywhere for all that. It was, right. I think, because we were working with one customer. And then I, I remember I had a meeting with them. Um, which, you know, I went in and again, they were saying, this isn't selling, that isn't selling. And I was saying, well, you know, the reason why is because you're not set up in the right way to be able to do this and you're not seeing the right customers. I said, to be honest, I want to see my product in camping shops now. You know, it's about time that we started to penetrate the sort of industry as we know it. Um, So we ripped it, well, it took a little while after that, but we ended up ripping the agreement up. Um, right. It was quite a fraught conversation, I remember that conversation. Because yeah. I guess they didn't want to lose us, but at the same time, we were never going to get to where we wanted to get to with, with having that kind of constraint of one customer. Right, so, okay. So, so I took some uh, agents on, so people that were already out there selling brands to people. Okay. We had right. three old pro agents uh, that went out selling, and we, sort of them followed three really good years of us selling to uh, to other businesses and okay. seeing old pro in shops and things which was good so that kind of initial sort of turning point for you was really sort of ripping up that agreement and and saying right we're gonna branch out now and because uh, that was like an exclusive agreement was it Just yeah to, to yeah 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 we, okay. we couldn't sell to anybody else i think that i think the beauty of it was that looking back on it now it, it was the thing that helped us and, and made us and probably one of the most precious things we had was that agreement because mm. it allowed us to have a customer that we were bringing mm. things in we knew everything was sold but actually then became our biggest hindrance as well right, uh, okay. really quickly so if anybody looking in on us they would say oh you, you know you've got it made you know yeah. but actually it was the one thing that was really holding us back yeah um, yeah and also it's a big risk isn't it because yeah yeah if you're out of you're not in control, really, are no. you? Because if something happens to that company, then uh, no, no, we'd had you. we'd had to do what we then ended up having to do, which was obviously just go out to everybody. Yeah, so that was good. But then another big change was, I mean, our, our pinnacle year and our real kind of turnaround was 2015 for us. We um, okay. so, so we we'd sort of done about maybe two and a half, three years of of selling to people, and um, it was fine, it was good. But we were getting agents coming back to us and saying. You know, being out on the road all day, so and so has closed down. Such and such is about to close down, and there was this mass thing. I mean, it's, it's no secret to anybody. Retail's changed in a big, big way mm. over the last twenty years, but the camping industry, these kind of second, third, fourth generation camping shops, we're not going to continue and close mm. down and shut up shop. And I, I always tell the story of I used to go to Warrington when I was at Outdoor Revolution. I could spend three days in Warrington. You know, right. there'd be five camping shops there. Yeah, yeah. You know, now there isn't, you know, there's nobody in the Northwest other than go outdoors and blacks and, and right, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it really changed. And, and we looked at it and we had a conversation with a few people um, at the time and said, what do you reckon will happen if we just go direct? We've got a website. What if we just put a shopping basket on that? We allow mm. people to buy from us. We've got a really strong social media presence. 
you know, I think we could really push this. And the, the other hindrance to selling to other people is your product is always shown in the way that they want to show it rather than the way in which you want to show it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. on their website, we might have been, you know, the cheap brand or we might have been, you know, not preferred to other people. We had a, we had somebody bring us up once and, um, and they said, oh, uh, I've come to this camping shop. I won't, I won't name them, although I don't think they're around anymore. But they said, we've come to this camping shop to buy one of your tents. And while we've been here, they've been trying to sell us this other one, this competitor, this competitor's one. Right. So I, I rang them up and I said, look, we've got this customer there. They want to buy one of ours, a Martley tent, which we don't do anymore. Um, we want, they want to buy a Martley. You're trying to sell them a X, Y, and Z. And, they were like, oh yeah, but we've got loads of those in stock. We haven't got many of yours. We need to get rid of those. All and you right, think, yeah. well, that's not helping us. That's yeah, really not helping yeah, us. Yeah. So yeah, so I think we, we decided in 2015, in summer of 2015, we were going to do this. At the same time, we'd, we'd got a very small range of tents at that time that we were selling. But we, we love, we always loved camper vans. We knew camper vans was kind of our world that we right. wanted to be involved in. And um, and I'd you know, done products in the past at other places. So we started to design camper van awnings and okay. uh, we did those. And the first, um, the first drop of those uh, was on Boxing Day of 2015. Sorry, New Year, sorry, Christmas Eve. Uh, yeah, Christmas Eve of 2015. Yeah, because uh, I was on holiday at the time. I'm a, I'm a brother who works for us. He had to unload them on uh, on Christmas Eve. Hasn't let you live it down. Yeah, you know, he always reminds. Especially this time of year, always reminds me. He's asking for days off. So um, yeah, so we, we we did camp for audience. So we 2015 coincided as a year as we launched our biggest range of products, which we're known for. Which you know we've got a good percentage of UK market on at the same time as making that decision to go direct. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was pretty much said to the agents, look, I think you can appreciate what, why we're doing this. They did, you know, it was very amicable. You know, we, we, we sort of parted our ways. And then at the same time, we turned on the website and allowed people to start buying. Right, okay. And but like, like, yeah, I mean, that's a brave move though, isn't it? Suddenly letting yeah. go of the agents and yeah, and uh, and... and just selling direct when you don't know if it's going to work, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it. Yeah, I think it's some, you know, bravery to it. But I think also as well, it was, it was a pretty calculated risk. The signs were there. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty clear that one side of the market was. I mean, we were doing okay selling to people because we were still new, so we were still, you know, finding our way in the market. We, it was pretty much growth every mm. year. Well, it was growth every year. But at the same time, you could see the appeal of selling direct, and mm. you know, mm. we'd um, we'd sort of flirted with it a little bit in the past. We'd sort of trial trialed it for like a few days and things right. to see how it go. We could see things could sell, um, and at the same time, it was nice to see the fact that you know all the images we'd taken and the videos that they're all being used. Whereas mm. you would give that stuff to some retailers and they wouldn't bother using it, or, yeah, you know. Yeah, so, sure. so it it looked right. It definitely felt right. It just felt like we had more control over things, right, and, gotcha. and certainly from a pricing point of view, it got to a point where, you know, we'd have two customers in Nottingham, for example, and you know, one of our agents would go to one of them one month, sell loads of stuff, and go to the one the other month, sell loads of stuff, and they would yeah. just compete with each other on price online. <laughs> so our product would just be sold on on price rather yeah, than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Whereas again, we just had that control, and now you can control everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, so yeah, it, it definitely looked risky. But I've got to say, coming out of twenty fifteen into sixteen, we were in a much much better place. And, yeah. and our growth since then has been, you know, phenomenal. Really, it's been really yeah. good. Oh, cool. 
And so, uh, did, were you driving the sort of social media thing at that stage? Because you, you know, we, we said in the intro, and you've mentioned it a couple of times about how strong your social media presence was and is. Yeah. How, how did you? I mean, that's reasonably early on, I suppose, wasn't it? In terms of kind of social media and particularly sort of, uh, you know, selling on social media and everything, I guess. But yeah, how did you know to do that? <laughs> yeah, I think. I've, on those sort of things, I think I've always been a bit of an early adopter. So, right. you know, Twitter, I was on there very, very early days. Um, uh, Facebook as well, very similar. I, I had a, a friend who used to send me links to kind of weird websites. He would say, you know, this is really... I always remember he sent me one to... Because I think it was like a week before he sent me the one to Facebook. Yeah. He sent me this link to a, a website called Wayne, which is W-A-Y-N, which is Where Are You Now? Oh, yeah, I think I heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah which I think yeah. may even still exist. Yeah. But he kind of said, look, join this because everybody's going to be on it. And I did do. And then the week after, it's like, join this and it was called Facebook. Everybody's going to be <laughs> on it. And um, so I'd always kind of been fascinated by him. And obviously, it's a really quick way to get to people and to obviously interact yeah. with people. And again, you know, talking about Apple before, Facebook have been great innovators in terms of the way that they... And again, sometimes you look at things and you think it's quite questionable. But if you were to look at like the early, you know, the first adaptation of Facebook compared to now, mm. you can see how far they've, they've come along and how, how strong it is. So I've always been really interested in that. And I think I also realised that the industry I've been in, in the camping industry, have not have, until recently, and they are, you know, a lot of people are very strong at it now, obviously. But back in the day, weren't particularly good at it. So mm -hmm. it was part of, for all pro, it was our unique thing, I think, that we were very, very strong on social media from day one, right. whereas a lot of the industries weren't. Sorry, a lot of people in the industry weren't. Yeah. And people would look at us and say, oh, all pro, you're really good online, you know, sort of biting above your weight. And yeah. I think that was always a thing. We would always want to remain at that. Right, um, okay, yeah. and, and even now, you know, with you know Jack, a marketing manager, and the team that he's got, it's a constant reminder to him and the team that we need to stay ahead of everybody else. You yeah, know, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even as we've got bigger, we can't take our foot off the accelerator with social media. We need to be ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier about sort of putting out, you know, videos about general videos about how to do such and such with camping and everything. And yeah. that always seems to me to be a, a really good way forward to just be be useful. Yeah. And then it's kind of, oh, and by the way, we happen to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tons. Yeah, I don't. I, I, it's it's nice if people buy from us, and obviously that it keeps everybody employed. But at the same time, you know, I think what we're doing is is doing something a lot more than that, and it's kind of offering a service around, you know, around what we do, around camping and helping people to get outside and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of benefits to doing that, you know, from a for the individuals around wellness and obviously well being and. Uh, and I think we've probably experienced that more than ever the last 18 months, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, I was going to I was gonna say, like, I guess the last 18 months, because there's a lot of people camping now in the yeah. UK and everything, so uh, you've, you've probably seen, been on the right end of that, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it is a point of, you know, again, whether they bought our tent or, or whatever, a lot, of, a lot of people have got into camping, you know, whether they've wanted to or not, they've been forced yeah, yeah. to to some <laughs> yeah. degree. But it's how, you know, for some people... We take it for granted that you know there's there's a good way to put in a peg into the ground, or right, you know yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, there are certain ways to kind of put tents together or guide them out or to tie you know to retie guy lines, you yeah. know. But not everybody's going to know all these things, so I think mm. it's been part of our job to try and help along those ways, mm. or you know. So and again, we've 
we've got a lot of experience within the business. Uh, mm. There are a lot of people that have come for many, many years. So if we can kind of impart some of that, I think that's useful. Um, yeah, so again, I don't think we'll ever be the, the absolute authority on all things camping, but if we can be useful, then I think that's a good thing. It's a good start, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, you're doing something positive for the world. <laughs> yeah, 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 for a small bit of our world, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I think around that as well, there's other things we can do. So this year we've launched a cookbook, a camping cookbook. Oh, right, okay. you know? yeah. Again, it's not going to be the next Harry Potter, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's out there in the world and hopefully useful to people. And you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, we've got some more book ideas. You know, at some point, there'll be an app available which will contain all this information. You know, okay. which we will not be making any money out of it, it'll just be out there to help support people when they're out on the campsite. Yeah, you know? cool. But it all builds trust with your brand, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. People yeah. see you as the helpful guys. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I think most, if you look at any good company now, you can see that what they're doing is not just trying to sell your products. It's almost. You know, I I buy. I know I buy into certain brands not just because of the product that I'm buying, but what they're doing. You know, obviously for the environment, what they're doing about mm. sustainability more locally, and also what they're what they're doing for me as a customer in terms of you know their aftercare and mm. and what they can support with. And mm. um, yeah, and, and even if you I, look, this is the reason why people like Red Bull don't just sell energy drinks anymore, do they? You know, they <laughs> they sponsor everything under the sun. You know, yeah, to give yeah, people yeah. really good content. Yeah. You know, so you can sit there and watch a video of a guy jumping off a cliff and you know it's it's everything around the brand and i think that you know we as a brand want to be kind of in that league as well they're yeah. offering a lot more value yeah cool no oh, i like it well um yeah as we said people go to oldproshop.com yep they can go to your linkedin and uh the old pro linkedin business page as well yeah yeah we've got a, a thriving uh, linkedin business page yeah. yeah the facebook the instagram uh, the Twitter, yeah. I don't Still. really do Twitter anymore, but yeah, yeah. The, yeah uh, old pro, we do. Yeah, you're yeah. on the new. You're on the next thing. What's the next thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, it's it's TikTok. We, um, oh yeah, yeah, is that being good for you? Yeah, so? yeah. So that we've just made um, a kind of conscious internal decision. That's probably our third social media now. That's really? behind Facebook and Instagram. Right, it's, okay. uh, yeah, but it also interestingly, it's the first one I don't really understand, which sort of shows you <laughs> oh, I'm getting old. Yeah. So, so yeah. is that is that the order for you? Is it Facebook, Instagram? Yeah, top? it is now. Really? Yeah, Facebook's yeah. still top. Yeah, Facebook's still top for us. Um, right. We still definitely get more traffic driven through that. Um, is that all all organic or like your? Yeah, we we do a lot of paid stuff through yeah, there yeah, as well. But it's yeah. it's yeah, we, we get really strong organic through there. We've got. I think Facebook is useful for us because the industry we're in, obviously camping and camper van, there's a lot of kind of forums and networks. Okay, gotcha. And they tend to meet and kind of congregate on Facebook. So I think that's really strong for us. Um, and there's a lot of good conversations come through Facebook to us. We've also got our own group, All Pro Everywhere, where, right, okay. which generally when people buy from us, they tend to join that group. Okay. And then it's people. It's kind of a peer-to-peer thing where people talk to each other about our product. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then Instagram is just obviously great from a photography point of view. Makes absolute yeah, yeah. sense. Yeah. And then TikTok, um, I think it's just people taking pictures of cats, isn't it? But apparently it's big. No, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sort of t- like dabbled with it a little bit, but I was right. just like, I can't, you know, do. There's only you know more or less me just doing it. So yeah, I can't yeah. Do everything, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's more than that now. It's uh, it's quite fun. Yeah, you can get lost in it for a long time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think there's more and more like serious stuff coming on there now, and kind of, 
yeah, the kind of stuff that you do would be we, great, I think, like help, helping people. It's, it's that, yeah, it's helping, yeah. We, we've talked about it as a sense of, uh, like, hacks and that around camping. Kind of really yeah. short, quick, snappy kind of, this is how you yeah. get the best out of this element of camping. Um, yeah. So I think that. And we're also, um, you know, we're sort of looking at our own kind of adventures as well. So, like, the team with an old pro, you know, going away and sort of doing things and okay. sort of using yeah. our own equipment and things a little bit more. Old pro we, challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've got some really cool ambassadors as well. So we have oh, people yeah. out using our product and, okay. you know, I, I think... They've always typically gone towards Instagram, but we think there might be a slight leaning towards TikTok as well in the future. And what's your, just out of interest, what's your kind of uh, biggest, uh, you know, age demographic of uh, so customers? between 40 and 50, really. Is it, yeah? Yeah, okay, pretty even split between of, male and female. Okay. Uh, sort of parents then at that stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think we've always seen, as we've sort of talked around the brand and that, that... I think a lot of the people that buy Opera are probably like us. So, you know, they might have been more adventurous youths and, you know, gone off in sort of two, three-man okay. tents yeah. and then settled down with a family. Yeah. They still want that element of adventure, you know, but that adventure yeah. now might be on a campsite or it might be, you know, yeah, yeah. in Bridlington or something like that rather than up the Iger. So they, they want to buy a brand that's a little bit different, a little bit more technical. Okay. And I think that's yeah. where we kind of fill that gap. And I think you do... Um you do tent hire, right? Mm, yeah, that's that's cool. Is that a normal thing, or is that something you've we yeah? So we sort of developed yourselves. We developed the load and go system that we do, um, but mm. I, I think there's obviously tent hire companies out there. But right. Okay. But the system with us is that rather than buy a tent, you can just you can click on the borrow rather than buy. Right. And okay. uh, you can borrow it for three days or seven days, so a weekend okay. or a week. Or multiples of that. So if you wanted it for yeah. longer, you could do. But then we send it out a couple of days in advance, so people can check it and put it up and everything. And then the return is pretty soft, so they can return it when they're comfortably back and got the product dry. But they bring it, send it to us via any means. We use the the like locker boxes and things that you sometimes see outside oh, shops and things. Yeah, so yeah. people send it back various oh, means cool. and it works really well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been popular, has it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be very good. Yeah, yeah. I think, again, with people getting into camping, it's a good way to kind of test it and see what works. Yeah, test the water. I think, for, yeah, because um, for us, it's been like we've sort of thought about it and it's like it's all the other kit that you need yeah, around yeah. it. And you're kind <laughs> yeah. of like, yeah, okay, yeah, we could get a tent, but yeah. we still have to get like all the uh, all the accessories and everything when you're starting from scratch. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the only the only benefit you've got, obviously, buy it, borrow the tent, but the chairs and sleeping bag, you can use them anyway, can't you? So the chairs yeah, and you're yeah. using garden or at the beach yeah, and sleeping yeah. bags are always handy. So, so yeah, yeah it's not so much of a bind, really. But you don't want to end up with a tent if you're never going to use it. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's cool. It's, uh, it's a good thing you're doing and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get out there soon. But um, yeah, no, thank you very much. Thank you, Dad. For your time and uh, coming in and sharing your story and everything. And uh, yeah, wish you all the luck. Thank you. Take all care. Right. Thanks. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.